chains can be broken. We can be set free. There is hope today. And so, despite what you've come in here with, despite the burden that might be on the shoulders, we come to a God who is safe and who promises a lot more than we can give ourselves. So we want to come to Him, we want to run to Him, and we're going to do that today in the book of Ephesians. We just finished up a brief series. Um, If you were gone for the summer and not able to, to look into that, I encourage you to look back at that series entitled, Behold Our Savior, for we were able to look for four weeks at Jesus from multiple angles and just really enjoy Him. And that's how the Bible says you're changed. Not by really focusing and being told really what to do first, but who to behold and what He looks like. So, But today, we're having a two-week series and then we're going to go to the book of 1 John. We as a church, we regularly go through books of the Bible, um, but we took a few-week break here. Um, And today and next week, we're going to really hone in on what it looks like to be uh, a community. And ultimately, the way we talk about community here is being family on mission. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks doing that. And today's uh, sermon is going to be about that from Ephesians chapter 4. So what I want to do is I want to read the text. Ephesians 4. And I'll just read 1 through 4 or 5. And actually, I'm going to go all the way to 7. Sorry, I was looking here at my Bible and had wrong number circles. Uh, All the way to 7. And then I'll pray. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one at the end of a row near you. Please uh, ask your neighbor for it. We would love for you to uh, follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Word of God says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body, in one spirit, just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me pray. Father, we do come to you now and we ask... We ask for your help, for we are needy, and we just praise you that you are not. You do not need our hands to serve you, to give and make up something in you that you lack, for you are all-sufficient and all-powerful. You are strong in our weakness. You are glorious. You are of most supreme value. There is none other like you. You've created the heavens and the earth. You've declared the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is yet to come. Everything that exists, exists because you spoke it. And so, Father, we just want to give you appropriate praise. And we want our hearts to not be so hard, to not be so fickle that it just runs after fleeting pleasures. We want our hearts to bow low this morning. And we just ask that you would take them and you would bend them and you would push them to you. For as we fall at your feet, there is where there's fullness of joy. And so for the sake of our hearts, but more importantly, but for the sake of your name, 
We ask that you would do this kind of transforming work this morning. Set free those who are bound up. Come alongside the hurting. I pray that you would empower those who are fearful. And that, God, you would make us a strong, united, happy, loving people. We pray this for your sake. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. People are a necessary part of life. I don't know if you get that or not. A, you're a person, right? So life equals people. But I mean more than that. I mean other people are necessary to you. In a world that trumpets individualism, many times what is esteemed is your ability to make yourself strong. To make yourself succeed. And that's what gets the pat on the back. Mutual dependence and interconnectedness. It's a secondary thing. Yet everybody craves it. It's a sad day when you read these biographies of strong and powerful men and women. Who have run over many people on their path to get what they have. From possession to fame, etc. And at the end of their biography they write... Of their longings for relationship. Their longing for someone that they can care for and someone that cares for them. Even many times longing for those very people that they end up stepping on in order to get what they thought was ultimate. Life is more than things. Life is more than position or fame. Life is ultimately about God and He has made it such that we as a people, we need one another to image Him forth and to ultimately be happy in Him. So today what we're going to look at is the idea of community. The idea of our need for people. Not more than God, but our need for people to image forth God. So, as we talk about community, I just want to summarize it in a sentence. Community is a need for us built around substantially different values than other communities. And it takes work to maintain. Community is need for us. We need one another. And the one another that I'm talking about is substantially different in value and essence than all other communities. And it's going to take work to maintain it. So, three main points is this. One, Christ creates community. Community is first created in Jesus. Number two, the second idea is characteristics of this community. And the last one are barriers to community. Christ creates community, characteristics of community, and barriers to community. So let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, ultimately verses 1 through 3, but we'll see how it kind of flows all throughout the book. I... Therefore, who's the I? This book is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is a man who committed many grievous sins and yet found salvation, rescue, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
And when God changed his life, used him mightily to help begin the church, form the church around Jesus. And here we have this letter written by him that we believe is the word of God to us today. So Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Now already he is beginning to show us two things. There's a therefore which points us backwards. And he tells us that he is in prison for this Lord that he serves. This is meant to give amazing gravity to what we read. So when he calls, what the next call will be, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He's saying, I'm walking it. He's worth it. Now go. So it's not something that's in a bubble. He's saying, I have risked my life for this Savior, and it is worthy pursuit for you to do the same. Now, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That helps us understand the therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, it's pointing us backwards. And so, we don't begin this letter in Ephesians 4.1. We begin it in Ephesians 1.1. We begin it at the beginning. And it's in the beginning where Paul labors over and over to say, salvation is not of you, it's of God. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot break your own chains of sin and shame and guilt. You need someone else to stand in your stead and to set you free. It's so desperate, he describes it in Ephesians 2.1 as this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead is how he describes every person on the planet. And yet, there is hope. He says, although dead, but God makes us alive in Christ Jesus. And he says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace, that's God's help, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of you should boast. It is an amazing message that sets you free from trying to save yourself. This is where the passage begins. Jesus is saying on the front end, I have remade you, church. I have done that. And what I have begun, I will complete. I will sustain your walk. So that when He calls them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, this idea of calling is a summary word for God's saving work in their lives. His intervening, His rescuing. And for many who come, even maybe here today, especially those who haven't been with us for uh, years or even many weeks, there is a, an epidemic in our culture that says religion is how you are saved. I've even noticed it as I seek to I get to know neighbors um, that there's a new gospel out. It's the gospel of kindness. That you don't need Jesus, you just need to be kind. And so people, where before, what was many times shocking about Christianity is the kindness of those people transformed by Jesus. There's There's an epidemic today that we all must be kind in this tolerant world. We don't say anything that ruffles people's feathers and that we just give our lives to serve in really free and uh, ways. And then by doing so, we feel better about us. 
Is kindness wrong? <laughs> no. But if kindness is a means of salvation for you, then it's actually evil. Anything that props your life upon you to be saved as opposed to Jesus and Him alone is the essence of sin. It's called self-righteousness. It's called trying to save yourself. It's, it's replacing Jesus for your good deeds. And friends, it is a miserable way to live. Because you never know how much kindness is enough, and yet you still think when bad things happen that you can put God at bay and say, you should have done better to me because, why? I have been kind. It's not just for the religious. Some will say, if it's either my kindness, it's my church attendance, it's whatever. I've been good with my money, I gave it to people in need, whatever. These are things that we prop our lives up. It's religion. And then there are those who just say, I don't give a flip about religion, I don't give a flip about kindness, I'm just going to be myself. Both are seeking to say, I will be fine on my own. But this is a radically new community that is being talked about here in Ephesians 4. It's a community of people that come together not because they have something to offer God, but because they solely believe they have nothing they can offer God and Jesus has done it all for them. He came, He lived the life they couldn't live, He stood on the cross, He died the death they deserved, He stood in their place, He took the wrath of God that our sins should take and now He's been set free, He's been made alive and now we can be made alive in Him. By faith in Christ. This is what the new community is founded upon. And therefore, Paul is telling us, you were dead, you are sinner, and yet now you're saved. Not everybody can say that. This community is sinner and saved all at the same time. If you wear that banner, you're in this community. Sinner. Saved. Rescued. This is the beauty of the new community in Christ. And He creates it by His death. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by grace. But our need for community, this new community of believers, it begins actually at the beginning. This isn't just something that's new, that we have can be made alive, but we are made alive to be brought into a people. Into a people. And that was wired in us from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told that we are made in the image of God and that we are made male and female to image Him forth. We needed someone else. There's a, there's a verse, Ephesians, or Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There's no sin in the world, and yet God can say, right now, it's not good that man should be alone. Why would He say that? Because in order to be the image of God, to represent Him well, there needed to be relationship. Because although it might be really confusing, we believe God is one in three persons. He's a trinity. He is a relational God in His own essence. 
He didn't create us out of need. He created us that we might show Him off to one another. He created us out of overflow. He is relationally solid in and of Himself. And then He creates us to be in relationship that we might image Him forth. So you might say, to be relational is to be human. This is what our God has worked into our DNA. That just people in and of themselves were created to relate to other people. And in so doing, we show Him off. So Christianity at its core is communal. It is a community. So now, look at Ephesians 4.1. I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, you know what's interesting there? How many of you, when you read the word you, read you singular as an individual? Most of us did. We read, it's almost like Sean, you kind of, this is an individual. Do you know every single you that's in the book of Ephesians is a plural? He's talking about the church. It's understood that when you are saved, you're saved into a body. You're saved into a people. You're saved into a you. So follow it. Genesis. We were created to be relational. That's how we show God off. Jesus Christ comes because we could not rescue ourselves from sin to create a new community around Him. As we are saved, we are brought in community with Him, but also our very identity is not individual, but brought together as what's called church. Church is not an event. It's a people. It's an identity. And so this is where we are in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 4. We're now brought together. This is the community for which we have been created. That is why every single metaphor in the Bible regarding the church is demands more than one person. So think about these metaphors. You are the body. Many parts, one body. You are the bride. The whole church, every single believer is called the bride. We're all included together. It doesn't say brides. Plural. We're the flock of God. We're a nation. We're a family of brothers and sisters. Every metaphor that's used of the church means that the church is supposed to be connected to one another. We need one another. We are saved into a new community of interconnectivity, mutual dependence. And as we depend and lean on one another, we image forth our God. You tracking so far? Okay, if not, let's talk about this. We're a new people, created for interconnectedness. What's that look like? This week I got a text. I got a text from a dear brother struggling with paralyzing thoughts of self-condemnation. Just rehearsing sin. And he asked me to pray for him. Why would he do such a thing? Because he was humble. And he knew that he couldn't handle the battle on his own. When I get other texts of people telling me, these are truth things, people telling me, I'm struggling with judgmental thoughts. To 
towards my spouse. Can you pray for me? Why would you do such a thing? Because you believe in the power of God and you believe in your need for other people. Have you ever moved before? Like moved your house from one location to another, not like off of foundations, but all your contents? Have you ever tried to do that all by yourself? A, it's not enjoyable. And B, I would argue you're not supposed to. There's this sense of, there are certain things that God crafts in our lives that just scream, you need somebody. Have you ever gone through some significant pain and sadness? You just want somebody to listen to you. You just want somebody to hold you. You just want somebody to remind you of the truth that God hasn't left you. Have you ever been there? Your and my life, they scream. And they especially scream the loudest in the moments of the depths of our soul that we need Jesus, yes, and we need His people. And that's what we were created for. We were not only saved so that we personally, individually can be rescued. We were saved into a community called the church. Oh, that our culture would be set free from thinking church is an event, something that we come to here and now on a Sunday morning. It's a people that relate to one another, that weep and laugh and bear one another's burdens, that point one another to Jesus, that build one another up with the Word in both encouragement and admonishment and and push one another in love. We need one another purpose, significance, whatever. We are interconnected. And friends, really, only pride stands in the way of you saying, I need help. Those are hard words to say, aren't they? (laughs) They're hard, aren't they? Especially around certain areas. Everybody has their own areas. I need help with my parenting. You're admitting failure, it feels like, doesn't it? Loser parent... I need you. I mean, that's what you feel like. I don't know why we feel like we have to be God. Remember, He's the only one that is omnicompetent, omni-knowledgeable. He knows everything. He's the only one that has all power. You don't. So are there some of you in this room that will not be able to manage your finances as well as somebody else? You better believe it. Are there some of you that are going to struggle to raise your kids? Maybe you struggle more with discipline. Maybe you struggle more with grace. Are you meant to walk this journey on your own? Are you going to struggle with decisions to make? Who should I marry? What job to take? How should I spend my money? Yes, you are. And Jesus says, I haven't left you alone. And part of the fulfillment of that promise is that He's given you other believers to live life with. Church, be the church. Some of you are being crushed. I will submit to you that it's your feeling and my feeling of a need to be omnicompetent, having no chinks in the armor, knowing everything, is a desire to be a self-savior and it's killing us. 
It's killing us. So we are crushed every day because we haven't been humble enough to ask for help in raising our kids. Ask for help with our marriages. Ask for help maybe in how can I order my house better? My house is a wreck. How can I be more hospitable? I struggle to want people to even come to my door, come into my house. How can I fix a meal for a lot of people? I don't even know if I want people over to my house around my table. I need help with that. That's not okay. We, this is the life. And we walk around, we come in, we got our clothes fairly straightened and in order. But good night. If your heart's anything like mine, you've been happy and sad in the last five minutes. It's just like, good, we are fickle. We struggle. And in part, we struggle to show us we're not Jesus. And we struggle to say we need one another. We've been saved for a community, to be in community, to be interconnected, to be mutually dependent. To say, please help me. And to say, can I serve you? It's a both and. Not an either or. And so, if Christ creates community, He makes this new community, what does this community look like? I just gave you one kind of example of sense of an interconnectedness. But this community walks in a certain way. That's what Ephesians 4.1 says, right? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the salvation you've been given. What's that look like? He's going to lay out that saved people, they walk a certain way. Now, that's not talking about strut versus no strut. This is spiritual walk. They look a certain way. They love a certain way. And look at it. Verse 2, he just lays it out. There's characteristics of this new community that Jesus purchased by His blood that you couldn't create on your own goodness. And you can't even get into it by your own goodness. The only way you get into it is, I need you, Jesus. But now once in the community, that community, once saved, you walk a different way. Please, don't miss this. Because this is what most sermons are filled with. Walk this way, do better. Ephesians 1-3 through say that's not the message. The message is, fall into the arms of Jesus, be changed by Him, and I will give you what you need to do these commands of Ephesians 4-6. through And so, hear that. Hear empowerment. Hear enablement. Hear love when you're told, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, what are the characteristics of this new community? Verse 2. You walk with all humility and gentleness. You walk with patience. You bear with one another in love. And you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's a radical way to live. What's really interesting is the very first one he begins with. With all humility. In Paul's day, that culture despised one thing, and it was this idea of humility. They despised humility and they prized pride. Our culture is not much different. You prize the self-sufficient. You prize the one who can tell you their accolades. You don't prize the one who expresses their need. 
I was listening to an amazing sermon by Tim Keller called The Community of Jesus from Luke chapter 6. And when I began to think about this, and I read in Ephesians 4 here and began to see how he is not just giving a good list of characteristics for this new community, he's actually stating things that are the opposite of the other communities around them. You following? When Jesus creates a new community, He creates a community that's radically different in value and virtue. Changed heart that lives a new way. And so when He says humility, He's not just saying, be humble, consider others better than yourself. He's saying, live different than the world. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 6. So, if you could, put your finger in Ephesians 4 and... Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 begins to lay out what in uh, many uh, Christian circles known as the Beatitudes. He's basically laying out a new way to live. A, a new community that's being formed by Jesus. And you I mean sermons upon sermons upon sermons have been spent on these verses. So I'm really going to give a kind of a 30,000 foot view and go really quickly over a lot of this. So you'll still have a lot of questions about Luke 6. But ultimately what we're looking at are the characteristics of the new community that Jesus creates. And how those characteristics are different than other communities. So... Just begin to listen, and he's going to begin to pit these two communities against each other. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he says this, and now he's totally reorienting values. Blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe, verse 24, to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Do you see how he's giving blessings and cursings? This sense of here is virtue in my new community and here is something not to be pursued. But, you know, we better define this or people are going to start living some crazy ways here. So, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Is he saying here that you must drain yourself of all finances whatsoever and you must rarely eat food? Is this what he's saying? Is he saying that you must walk around crying all the time and you must delight that people hate you? Namely, just you pursue it. Is that what he's saying? Well, I think there's a helpful way to look at this because the contrasts are not to be lost. It is, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Right? There's multiple passages where money in and of itself is not wrong. It's the what of money is the root of all evil. 
the love, the pursuit, the craving. Jesus has not just shifted to more morality. He's shifted to motivation of the heart. Those who can delight in one position and not live their life to pursue another position, this is what makes you blessed. Here's a quote. A man named Michael Wilcock, um, a commentator on the book of Luke, he states it this way. In the life of God's people, there will be seen a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will, and here's a helpful word, will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world calls desirable. Here's the way to look at these things. Prize what the world calls pitiable. He's not just saying pursue poverty, pursue crying. He's not just saying pursue being hungry or pursue being hated. But prize them. Don't look at them as something to be hated. Prize them. A freedom from money. A sense that God will provide for your physical needs. A sense of weeping over the lostness of the world. Or a sense of going through suffering now in order that you might be able to see for the days ahead when there will be no more suffering. It's a radically different reorientation. It's one that prizes weakness and humility rather than pride and strength. I've got it. It's one who prizes a freedom, an inward freedom from money rather than the pursuit of I've got to have more and more. So we prize what the world calls pitiable. That's just stupid. And we suspect what the world calls desirable. Riches, fame. Now when it says laugh now, it's not the kind of um, suspect anytime you are happy. This is the kind of laughing that's like, ha, I gotcha. It's the kind of one that one-ups somebody and you laugh about it. It's like, ha, gotcha. That kind of thing. This sense of looking down on someone. And so what you begin to see is you prize freedom from money, freedom from food, freedom from being crushed by circumstances, even if people hate you, because your prize is Christ. And you know that one day He'll make all wrongs right. And then you suspect these other things that the world says to live for. I would put forward if... Everyone always speaks well of you. You're probably not living for anything significant. It's just not going to happen unless you are so paralyzed by the fear of people, you are just cowering to everybody around you. Suspected if everybody says, Oh, you're just such a great person. If that's said by everybody... You've probably lost something. You're probably pursuing something that is going to end up crippling you. Friends, this is a new community. It's a new community within that is humble. And it looks different than the world. It prizes weakness and sacrifice rather than self-promotion. This is a new community. A new community created by Christ. 
And it's not only a new community on how they relate to one another, but also how they relate to those outside of them. I'm still in Luke 6, and I just want to point you to two more things. Well, two more verses. One more thing. How do you treat those who don't agree with you? This new community has a different type of DNA in its heart. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. You see what he's doing? This is the new community that Jesus creates by saving a people for himself. It's a people that when someone disagrees with you, you love them. You pray for them. There is not nothing more intimate than falling on your face and pleading for a deep, intimate communion with God and then calling out for nourishing, flourishing for someone who has been against you. Love your enemies. How do you respond? Especially if you're not a part of the people of God. The people who are not a part of the people of God, when you're disagreed with... There's revenge, there's hatred, there's anger, there's, you know, there's a TV show out right now called Revenge, and it's like on season four or five, and I'm like, well, no wonder, because revenge, it just constantly feeds itself, right? You never get rid of wanting revenge, it's just like lust, you can never get enough of it. And then one day you'll wake up, of course that that series will go away, you'll wake up and realize revenge has either killed you and poisoned you, or it didn't give you what you thought it would give you. New community loves your enemies. Prays for those who persecute you. Even turns the other cheek. Now, when you hear that phrase, many people, when you hear, turn the other cheek, you think somebody just went, whap like that, and you go, here, right here, other side. You know, that's not what the passage is saying. When you greet someone in that culture, what did you do? You kissed cheeks. So you would offer your cheek as a sign of friendship. And so if someone goes against you, Jesus is saying, offer your cheek to them. Continue to pursue them in love. Pursue them in prayer. Want their nourishment and their good. Dear church, this is a new radical kind of freedom that when set free from self, you relate to one another differently and you relate to the world outside differently. All for the sake of God's glory and your ultimate joy. And friends, when that new community is created, those kind of characteristics become a part of you. Then you begin to drain yourself of all superiority. And you don't want to hurt, but you want to flourish. You don't look down, but you're looking side to side. And we're the same. All sinners in need of a Savior. Rather than, I have power, I have position, you don't. Oh, I don't make fun of people like they do. Huh. You see, we, we, just, we build ourselves up on these things that I don't spend like they do. I don't talk like they do. I don't watch what they watch. We just build ourselves up on ourselves. This new community does Ephesians 4 stuff. Ephesians 4, let's run back over there. And now this list makes a lot more sense. With all humility, that is, considering others better than yourself. That's Philippians 2. 
with gentleness, that's as opposed to anger and revenge, with patience, as opposed to a shortness, your enduring and bearing with one another in love. And this gets to the last point. The last main idea is there are going to be barriers to community. Christ creates community, and this community looks different. It's, a, it's, a new, it's got new characteristics, but it's not going to come naturally. It's going to be hard work, which is why these work verses are in here. The end of verse 2 says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing. It's, it's a weighty term. It's like taking a bag off of someone else's shoulders and putting it on yours. It's a sense of enduring in a long battle or of a long day's work. It is bearing with one another in love. And then, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look at what it says and doesn't say. It doesn't say... Make unity happen. Because you know what? You can't do what only Jesus can do. He can take people of radically different desires, radically different dispositions, radically different ethnic, sociological backgrounds, radically different everything, and He can save them and slam them together in one community and create unity. That's His job. We can't do it. What Paul is saying here, now that I have created a new community called the church that has different values and a different DNA, now you've got to be eager to keep it going. Because that won't be natural. It's supernatural, and God promises to live inside your heart and to do it, but every one of us are bent towards not wanting to forgive. And every one of us are kind of bent towards just, I want my way at my time. I get it. I get it. Paul getting it too just says, be eager, make haste, be quick about it. To maintain unity. I've purchased it. Now you've got to work your rear end off to make it happen. Eager to maintain unity. In Christ's community, there is a haste for holiness. And there is a pursuit for purity. Friends, in our church, we have created community groups that are groups in order to try to foster this interconnectivity, to try to display to one another these new characteristics. And as you begin to get into other people's lives, these are groups that meet in homes. We've got about 12 or so right now throughout the city. When you meet with this smaller group of 10 to 20 some odd people, it will be an amazing opportunity to study the Word of God together, to get to know somebody in depth and to be known by others, to ask for someone's help and to offer your life as a service to them. There are over 31 one another commands in the Scriptures. This is just one. Bear with one another in love. This community group pushes people together at least once a week for the opportunity to live out these commands. But what we begin to see is that genuine family doesn't relegate family to just a meeting. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes the phone call. 
the text. It becomes the meal when you're down. It becomes doing work projects together at the house. It becomes watching movies together. It becomes being spoken to clearly when you're running into sin. And it includes patiently walking alongside. This is what family does. Family is committed to one another. It doesn't just give up on one another when things get hard. And friends, none of us have the bandwidth for all of that ourselves. But Jesus promises to work this community in us. And so when we talk about community groups, we say they are family on mission groups. Next week we'll talk more about what our mission of love looks like. But ultimately we want to hone in that today we are a family. And that family work is going to take hard work. Have you ever been wronged by somebody? If you're honest, have you ever been wronged by somebody in this church? Somebody in this room? I have. And you know what? I've wronged people in this room. Not because I hated them. Have you ever made mistakes? Have you ever had a moment where you were forgetful? Have you ever had a time when you were selfish and you just said a harsh word that just came out and you wish, oh, I wish I didn't say that, and you had to go and apologize? (laughs) It's not easy work, is it? But, oh, it's worth it. When somebody looks at you and you have to go to them and say, I should not have said that the way I said that. And I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And they say, I forgive you. You get to see in living color a small fraction of what it is for the Savior of Saviors to look at you and to say, I died for you. And yes, I forgive you. I will not rehearse your sins against me over and over. I forgive you. I will not hold them against you and bring them up against you one more time. I forgive you. Friends, apart from living in community, you miss a lot of Jesus. Because as you love one another, as you bear with one another, as you love one another, you get to see a small taste of what Jesus gave His life to do for you every single hour of the day. Community helps you savor the Savior. It helps you see Him in living color because we were created for people in order that with people we might image forth our great Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have created a new community. You have created a precious community, a community that is different, a community that is going to take some hard work in order to have peace reign in the church. But, oh God, it's worth it. It's worth it to see You. It's worth it to do the hard work so that we have the help. We get the opportunity to serve. And ultimately, we see You clearer than we ever have seen You before. So, Lord, I ask that You would set us free from self-consumption, just overwhelmed by us, and self-condemnation, overwhelmed by our guilt. You would set us free from jealousy and selfish ambition, and You would set us free to love. And oh, how imperfect we will be. But oh, Father, we thank You for Your forgiveness, and we thank You for the promise that You will give us the strength to love others over time. You wouldn't give us a command that was impossible without Your, with your strength. And so, Father, we hear, bear with one another in love, and we need you to do that. 
We need you to be humble in us. We need you so that we might be gentle. We need you so that we might be patient. Thanks for creating a new community. Thanks for the church. May it be beyond events to a people, a family, of relationships that help us change and help us love. Thank you for Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. And this time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a meal. It's a meal that looks forward to that meal when you